welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Illumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, managing partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit luminahp.com and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you. Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I am your host, Daniel Marino. As organizations are advancing into value-based care, of course, they think about a lot of the issues related to chronic diseases and how they may manage the population and stratifying risk and and so on and so forth. We've talked about all of those items um, in depth on, on our program. But one of the areas that has definitely gained a lot of attention over the last couple of years is how health equities plays into population health and the management of patient care related to different types of health equity issues, whether it's lifestyle or social determinant factors, socioeconomic issues, a whole whole host of things that are out there. So health equity definitely is an important factor. And not only is it important to the care that we deliver in our own communities, but it's gaining a lot of national attention. Last spring, some of you may know, CMS released a lot of their framework for health equity, and it included five priorities, which I thought were really interesting. They're sort of taking the perspective now of trying to create a little bit of a structure around what health equity is. And those five priorities focus on expanding collection data reporting. Priority two is access causes of disparity. Priority three is building capacity of healthcare organizations to really focus on reducing healthcare disparities within the community and within the patients they serve. Priority four is advancing language access, health literacy. Priority five is increasing all forms of accessibility to healthcare. So again, I think it's a great framework. It's a great start. I think it touches on a lot of the elements that are important to help us begin to manage a lot of the the healthcare challenges related to to some of the inequities that we see within our community. So to to help us talk through this today, I'm really excited to have um, a great guest, Vanessa Guzman. She is CEO of SmartRise. She works with organizations all around the country, health systems, ACOs, payers, other partners to identify some key trends, um, such as health equities and, and many others. And she's done a lot of work on helping organizations think about what the strategies are to to begin to kind of put some of these things in place and really provide a lot of the change management. Vanessa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Daniel, for having me. I'm I'm excited to, to share and exchange some thoughts with you. I think this is a really important topic and we're often frazzled with where to start. So hopefully we can shed a little bit of light today. 
Well, thank you. I, I agree. So maybe we could start with what you're seeing with some of the top issues with some of the healthcare providers around the country, particularly those that you're starting to work with who maybe come to you and said, look, you know, we're, we're interested in advancing some of our health equity initiatives. What do you see are, are some of the top issues that they're struggling with? Yeah, no, the Daniel, I think they're pretty, they're pretty standard across, right? Even regarded, regardless of size and, and resources, um, there, there are key challenges that are coming across the, the, the old stakeholders. Um, one for sure is the appropriateness of allocating budget and resources um, to the topic of health equity, uh, especially when there's you know li already limited resources, limited reimbursement, um, and folks are trying to understand you know what is the ROI associated with making such investments. So that's probably one of the top reasons we see um, as as a barrier uh, to yeah, implementing. Yeah. And that's a big one. I, I think that's a huge. You know, particularly in population health, when you're when when CFOs are being asked to invest in capabilities, you're investing in things with the idea that, you know, hopefully you're going to prevent them from occurring. That's hard to be able to wrap an ROI around it. I think in health equity, as, as you mentioned, I think it falls in in the in the same type of, of perspective where it's hard to really right. invest in it, hard to get an ROI. Absolutely. So we we try our best. Our our model really is designed so that it connects with existing revenue streams, existing infrastructure. So there's the least amount of resistance. Like if you connect health equity with quality, it's probably the best starting point just because sure. if you participate in any value-based contract or MIPS or any other any other similar program like shared savings, there's at least the fundamentals to build upon it. I mean, I see health equity as as a more tailored, more specific approach to improving quality of care. I think one can't exist without the other. And, and that's, if, if we bring that mentality forward, I think there's a lot that we can do. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. How about some of the leadership requirements? What are you seeing in terms of um, maybe the uh, the culture alignment? I can't help but think that, that this is really, you know, in some cases it could be really a paradigm shift for how leaders think about serving patients within their community and, and kind of breaking down some of those disparities? Yeah, for sure. I mean, most of the leaderships, either leadership teams that are being um, assembled or those existing have stories, right? Uh, like myself, which is why we're in this business, which is why we want to see things uh, change over time. And that gives them the motivation and the knowledge of what community should we serve? What type of data do we need? How, how you know? How can we mobilize our resources to do the right thing while still keeping the lights on? Because that's that's our main responsibilities if you oversee any any health system or payer um, organization. But I think because it's everyone's responsibility, part of leadership's role is also to um, build that culture of equity that you reference by having the tricky dialogues that we need to have around. Why do disparities exist? What are the root causes of, of, of disparities in our organization and the population we serve? Without understanding those gaps, it's hard to know where to start. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, many organizations over the years have um, invested a lot in, let's say, different levels of accessibility, right? I think the yeah. ADA really brought that to our attention and forced organizations to make changes. But if you're if you're really going to be addressing a lot of the health health inequities that are occurring, 
I really feel like you need to do more, right? You need to really expand that accessibility area. What do you see are, are some of the challenges that that our provider partners are, are struggling with? Yeah, the, probably, the, probably the number one is, is around data collection. And when we hear that term being used, we immediately think EHR, discrete fields, right? What we know, biometrics, but we're talking about engaging members and patients and their and caregivers and families, right? Um, in a dialogue so that they understand why we're asking some of these questions, how this information is being used, and more importantly, how is it clinically relevant in meeting their needs? I mean, that's really ultimately what patients want or are seeking. Um, and that's, you know, that that process of collecting data does include IT infrastructure, you know, caregiver uh, experience and asking some of these questions and, and education forward to the patient. So I think the data piece, which sheds light, right, to what is the problem we're trying to solve is, is probably the number one challenge yeah. at the moment. So let's let's dive into that a little bit, um, because, again, I, I, I'm a huge proponent that if you can't get the data, if you can't measure what's occurring, mm -hmm. you, you can't impact the change. Right. When, you, when you think about the data, um, where does the data come from? Does it, <laughs> is it developed in terms of the providers getting it? Is there ways that you can get some of this data from? let's say the quality of the claims data, or is this external data that we need to bring in? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So if we focus our attention in standards of care that have been developed by some of the measurement stewards, like uh, the National Community of, of Quality, uh, like NCQA, for instance, uh, the common, common denominator is collecting demographics such as race, ethnicity, language, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, or abilities, just to start, right, as a start. Mm -hmm. Um, and then integrating that into existing quality measurements that providers already generally have in their EHRs, if if, if there's especially if they're already reporting on quality measures and HEDIS measures, most organizations start there and then apply some of those demographic variables, deep diving a little bit into like, well, you know, are there differences in how different races engage in flu shot, right? Just to make something up or or blood pressure control. So the data is 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 somewhat there to some extent because you should be most of providers are already reporting it. The demographic piece it it will require additional questions, but a lot of the providers already had had uh some of this data as part of registration for instance, but uh where we see the biggest gaps is especially in gen in um, sexual orientation gender identity and the challenges with asking those questions sometimes become tricky because um, some patients are not ready to answer those questions, are not certain why they're being asked the questions. And also culturally, they're not ready to, to engage in that type of conversation. And that becomes uh, even trickier for providers to feel comfortable asking those questions. A lot of it because it's a lot of misinformation out there. Sure. And, and building trust with patients is, is key. It's not just asking the questions. Well, and it could be a bit of an uncomfortable conversation, right? Absolutely. Uh, those questions. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. then, you know, I can't help but think, let's say if a patient has challenges with transportation, right? So you're asking yeah. the question, you clearly want to capture that. Right. I think many providers feel like if they ask a question and they get- They have to do something. They, they got to do something with it, right? They have to do something with it. Yeah, right. So the second part to data collection is application of data, right? Which is, if you know something, do something. 
Um, and that's where community resources come into play, right? If, if we're talking about uh, social determinants of health, screening questions like the prepare, for instance, and many providers ask, my suggestion is always start with maybe a couple of those questions. So once where you have an immediate uh, resource or an immediate support or a referral or a partnership out there, don't ask all 10 questions if you know we're not there yet, but also start with the questions that you know are most relevant to the population. Um, if you have you know, social workers or other, or other uh, form of resources, it's important to recognize what you're able to do and what your capacity is to support some of that work. If you're just tuning in, I am Daniel Marino, and you're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm talking today with Vanessa Guzman, and we're we're talking about key issues facing provider organizations as they advance into health equity um, and the delivery of that within their patient care model. So when when we think about those questions, and that's a great point, right? So start small, start impactful, and yep. then and then kind of build from there. Is there training recommended? Is there, I would think there's got to be approaches in terms of two types of training. One, how do yeah. you ask the question, gather the information, and yeah. then what do you do with it, right? How do you put it right. into, how do you put it into the care model so it becomes right. relevant to your outcomes or your performance or, or frankly, just helping the patient? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, that's part of change management. That's the second, probably most common challenge, uh, Daniel, that, that we see yeah. with integration. Um, And so we certainly recommend training for caregivers, but also training for patients and their families, because I say families and because it's so important that the patients seek resources wherever they feel most comfortable. And sometimes that's their family, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when we're talking about uh, people of color. That's probably the most predominant resource that they have. Um, But there's also has to be workflows uh, established so that everyone who is engaging patients is following the same mantra, right? And following the same uh, lighthouse, uh, because then with consistency, we have the ability as a system to say, do we need to modify? Is it having the impact we're intending to have? Um, but still having that personalized touch that each each person as, as individuals bring to the table, which is beautiful, uh, which attracts patients generally to, to payers and health systems. Yeah. And, and frankly, that's what I think many physicians appreciate, right? You got to incorporate it into their own practice and, and connecting with the patient. So, yeah. so when you're working with organizations around the country, um, who's taking on this responsibility, kind of the leading the charge within health equity? Is it is it mm. the chief medical officers? Is it the chief nursing officers? Who are you seeing really leading the charge um, within the provider organizations? We see a lot of um, new appointments with health equity officers these days, okay. yeah. um, which may be new leaders into the industry who are, have been proven to be superstars in other areas like quality, um, like medical officers or or even community health workers, right? In the community partnership um, piece. But they all have something in common. Generally, they're people of color. Uh, generally, they're people with uh, lived experiences um, and, and diversity, but also they have some sort of connection or so- social connection to the community. And I think that um, it's, it's intended to build trust right across the organization from a person who, who's likely have lived through some of the challenges that they're, we're trying to solve to, uh, for the patient. Um, but the challenge we see there is that these, these folks are often um, not uh, given enough resources Right. To do their jobs effectively because it's not a one-person job. 
Um, and, and so where we come in generally to help is what type of roles and responsibilities do we all have, <laughs> the collective we in the organization, mm-hmm. although there's some centralized function perhaps that this person plays. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. We've done a lot of work over the years with with community health organizations and, and really bringing care into the community, particularly with social workers. And yeah. to your point, social workers have really struggled with the right level of funding yeah. to not only help the patients, you know, when they're in the office, but to to kind of address a lot of those other uh, issues that you know, frankly, may even have a more significant impact on the overall health of, of those patients. But it it does come down to, it does come down to the funding. So so when you yeah. think about that level of investment, if an organization is really thinking about moving forward with putting a lot of these these health equity initiatives in place, where does the where does the investment start? Does it start with the data? Does it start with training? Does it start with maybe hiring an individual to kind of lead the charge. Right. It, it all depends on where the core competencies of that organization exist, right? The path of least resistance, mm-hmm. but generally we recommend um, it, it look at the area that already generates revenue, like for instance, quality. Um, and many organizations have relationships with payers, for instance. So there could be potential collaborations between the payers and providers identify, well, how can we share resources so that the investment is intelligent and smart and goes a long way because it's now a bit more collaborative. But I would think um, there's three areas that I would recommend um, investing the collective we. One is in data infrastructure, um, uh, collection, engagement, patient engagement, everything we talked about. Um, Two, I would say investment in leadership um, and, and organizational structure. That means making sure that the workforce is very much representative of the population that you're serving, that there's accountability structures, that you're able to report on what are the disparities and understand what what is the problem you're trying to solve, right? Um, And then three, making sure that you have sufficient funding to now close the gaps, right? Um, To address those beautiful disparities that are are not beautiful at all. and, and, And we often try to normalize because, you know, that's just how, what makes sense and is comfortable to, for most of us. But, you know, I think looking at, 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 you're just investing dollars in those three areas is, is really where we all start. Um, You know, how we go about, it could be differently through assessments, data, whatnot, but those generally are the, are the three ones. And, and, and where we see gaps is, is, is making sure that, um, there's culturally and linguistically appropriate services um, available as we tailor right our programs to patients. So that I, is a big ask yeah. for me to all of you listening um, that that gets integrated into into whatever your plan is. Yeah, those those three points I think are, are absolutely right. Data, leadership, and then you know just having that that funding path I think is really key. So when you're when you're working with organizations around the country. And we yeah. see this all the time in the work that we've done. We've, you know, we work with folks in the, in more of the rural areas. Um, I have a number of clients in Western Nebraska and done a lot of work in South Dakota, as well as then the heavy metropolitan areas, right? Yeah. Chicago, New York, and so forth. I would think, and, and more than I think, I, I, I know that the health inequity issues are some of them are the same, but some of them are very different between mm-hmm. urban and rural. What are you seeing there in terms of, of 
those types of, of disparities? Are, are there some, some clear differences um, or do you kind of approach it the same? Because again, we're, tr we're trying to solve a lot of those same issues across the gamut of, of health equity. Yeah, when we when, yeah, that's a great question. When we look at studies across the country, we see that metropolitan urban areas um, have more have more health equity gaps or disparities in uh, you know clinical diseases such as asthma and hypertension and diabetes. Um, those highly dependent on things like food access or yeah. access to healthy food um, and and stable housing and and finances. Whereas of those residing in rural, um, less connected communities, um, we see uh, more challenges with things like behavioral health and substance abuse, alcohol use. Um, and I think where, where the gaps really fall apart is that each of these settings have limitations, right, of, of right. different things. Whereas of like rural settings have challenges, things like transportation, in urban areas, you have such a diverse group generally uh, of people of color um, that you know is is not homogenous, right? So it's not like a one size fit all approach to the work that we do when it comes to things like food access, um, because culturally uh, and even linguistically that changes, right? How right. folks yeah. engage in those conversations and what diet and exercise means means totally different things for these different groups. So. Um, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you're you're you are spot on. So I guess really looking at some of those those drivers, those factors that are really important in in your particular market, your particular yeah. setting, and um, you know, I, again, I think trying to create that path, um, the plan to really address some of those, but it has to be very different, right? It can't be a one yes. size at all. Um, yeah. I would also think that there there has to be some culture norms that come into place as well, right? You know, yeah. when when you think about different areas of the country, um, you know, there's some areas which obviously are much more conservative than other areas, yeah. and you know how you communicate and how you train around that, I would think has to come into play. It's and it's, it's different. I you know we work with in settings where. Um, gender affirming, uh, you know, roles and, and, and resources can be tricky just because of policy making and, and regulations that are different, for instance, in those states. And they, um, in it, those clients, they hesitate to use a term health equity because okay. immediately it gets shut down. Um, so we really promote that is really, it's, it's how, how is health equity relevant from a clinical perspective? And if we all look at it without making this political, just making it about the health of the patient, and what does that mean? Then you're strategically positioning your organization for success, right? That 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 is the key because it's all about the health of the patient, and and good quality of care cannot exist without equitable access to care. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and you know it's if you're doing a good job. I'm trying to incorporate lifestyle information, really understanding what's occurring with not only the patient, but within the community. Yeah. Raising the overall care of patients within that community. So I, I agree with you. I, I think we we really need to focus on, on removing ourselves from some of the political aspects and, and yeah. sort of 
breaking down some of those challenges, really right. think about what's in the best interest of the, of the patient and really building that into your overall care model. Well, Absolutely. Vanessa, this has been this has been great. Fascinating discussion. Obviously, it's an, an area that I have a lot of interest in. Yeah. Um, if you were to give some advice to our listeners, I, I know many of our listeners are just starting to get into health equity, start to understand how they can incorporate this into their care model, into their focus yeah. around value-based care. Any pieces of advice that you might be able to share? Yeah, absolutely. The first the first part is understanding the communities and populations that you serve. No matter where you're at, you need to understand that so that you can make the most efficient use of your dollars and time. Um, and you can use all the different data types that we discussed today and sources or, you know, using quality HEDIS measures as the starting point. Yeah. Um, the second piece of recommendation is making sure that the leadership is accountable for making the right investments without the, the necessary budgetary allocation, whether it is of centralized resources like an officer or, um, or resources to close those disparities. You're just talking a good game, but ultimately you're, you're lacking action. Sure. And then, you know, and then the third is having dialogues, right? We don't have sufficient dialogues with our partners, whether there's payers or community providers. And that is so important. Um, so I encourage having those tricky conversations because without that, we're really never going to get to the root of, yeah. of what's the most important to us. Yeah. You're really never going to advance a lot of the health equity yeah. initiatives. You're, you're going to be stuck. Well, Vanessa, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Great discussion. Um, if any of our listeners have questions or want to follow up with you directly, um, can you share your information? Absolutely. Uh, you can visit our website at www.smartrisehealth.com. We're also on LinkedIn. Uh, and my email is vanessa at smartrisehealth.com. So uh, I wanted to thank you so much, Daniel, for the opportunity to share these insights. And in our websites, you'll You'll find a ton of resources that hopefully help you understand where you can best start, um, but also resources that can really help advance where you're at today. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, obviously a, a very important topic as we move forward. Um, so, so thank you again. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. Certainly do appreciate this. And until our next insight, I am Daniel Marino bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organizational performance? Visit us at luminahp.com to learn more about our consulting services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. For more information about value-based care insights, visit the program's page on healthcareradionow.com or luminahp.com. Join the conversation using our hashtag VBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.